Hi, welcome to Sheffield, to the Crucible Theatre and to the 12th Annual Children's Media Conference. <laughs> At 12 years old, we're not quite grown up yet. In fact, you could say that puts us on the edge of becoming a troubled teen. So maybe our theme, All Change, or All Change, with its own cryptic question mark, is right for our teenage status. It's a challenging time for our industry and our audience. The choices on both sides can be bewildering. The changes are rapid and sometimes unpredictable. Things that we knew we're no longer sure about, relationships are volatile, and money is always tight. But equally, it's a time of opportunities. New possibilities are opening up, and our audience certainly has more chance to choose than ever before. Part of this seismic shift is associated with the maturing of video-on-demand services, especially amongst the kids' audience. And of course, a major part of that equation is the power of YouTube and other social media outlets amongst young people. So we were really pleased when our keynote speaker agreed to come and share his wit and wisdom at this year's CMC. He is a YouTuber and has been since the early days in 2008. He runs a network of YouTube channels aimed at young people that answers questions on science, maths, philosophy, and history. In other words, topics and subjects that many traditional media channels might say are unappealing to kids and unprofitable. But with just under 15 million subscribers and over a billion views for his videos, there's something going on here which suggests traditional norms no longer apply. If you haven't discovered Vsauce yet, then I'd urge you to get onto YouTube and check it out. It's the perfect place to answer those niggly questions like how heavy the internet might be or why your bottom's in the middle. It's an, imp it's an important question. Its creator is Michael Stevens, self-made educator, prodigious thinker, and a man who is at the heart of the content revolution. Michael firmly believes that any mundane or silly topic can be mind-blowing if you look closely enough. And if you ask the right question, however weird that might be, you can create a profoundly effective lesson. I checked the stats for his latest video. He uploaded it a week ago, and already 1,872,360 people have watched it. Actually, that was a few days ago. It's probably well over 2 million now. And if you add to that his People's Voice Webby Award for Best News and Information channel, it seems he may have a point. Michael promises to reveal some of the secrets and philosophy behind Vsauce, looking at how it resonates so successfully with a young audience in a media landscape of massive universal choice. And he'll cast his always analytical eye on the changes facing media production, distribution, and consumption. Michael has chosen to base himself in London for his work on Vsauce, but that doesn't make him any easier to tie down. An endless schedule of travelling, talking about the YouTube and Vsauce phenomenon, tells you something about the extent to which traditional media industries are trying to come to grips with these changes. But of course, all we have to do is come to Sheffield and tackle all change with the CMC and with our very welcome guest. For this year's CMC keynote, we're delighted to welcome the creator of Vsauce, Michael Stevens. 
Thanks. All right, hello everybody. That was a great introduction. I can't wait to hear what I'm about to say. Uh, this is gonna be um, impressive. So uh, I'm Michael Stevens. I'm the founder of the Vsauce Network of Channels and the host of Vsauce One. There are two other channels called, very creatively, Vsauce Two and Vsauce Three. Yeah, that's a little tough, but yeah, Vsauce Three. Um, so, so I'm here to kind of talk about why and how I do what I do and why and how audiences do what they do, why they view the things that they do, why they share the things that they do, and why they become not just viewers, but fans of what they do. These are a lot of observations that I've made about things I'm seeing digital success stories make. But first of all, yes, I'm an American. I grew up in Kansas, land of Wizard of Oz, Dorothy, Wheat, Superman, okay, that kind of stuff. But I moved out here about three and a half years ago, and I'm glad I came out when I did, because as we all know, the Eurasian plate up here and the America's plate are moving apart from one another at the rate of about three centimeters a year. What's really cool about that is that's about the speed that your fingernails grow. So when you cut them, and then, you know, I don't know, a week later, a few days later, look back and go, that's how much farther away New York is. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you'll be right. But in another sense, that's also how much closer LA is because the world's just a sphere, you know? And in like 250 million years, we will all be one again. It's called Novo Pangea, and it's believed all the continents will be together at that point. That was related to like nothing at all. But I hope that explains what Vsauce is because that's kind of what I do and what all three of the hosts do on the channel. We take something that we just learned that we're really passionate to tell other people about and we share it. So these are the, the, the YouTube channel banners for the three channels. We've got like 15 million combined subscribers. That's what we say, though a lot overlap, I'm sure. But uh, yeah, Vsauce won 8.963 this morning. Like, go home, please subscribe. Like, I've been waiting for nine million for a long time. But nine million is, is quite, quite a bit. People always ask, why do you have three channels, though? And I wish I had some great strategic answer, but I don't. Really, I just wound up working with Kevin, the host of Vsauce 2. We both made stuff for, the, for Vsauce 1. And uh, uh, he just was good enough to have his own channel and because both of us were there and both of us were a bit different, audiences compared us and would just comment about, oh, I was hoping that Kevin would upload today and not Michael. And that just, <laughs> we're, we're creative people. We're just actors and talent, really, at, at heart. And so we want to please everybody. So I said, here's an idea. Why don't you have, just have your own channel? Then I hired Jake Roper to help me edit, all right? Because I was getting, like, big time. I could afford to have someone help me edit the videos. And he came in and he was like, uh... I could do this. <laughs> and he wasn't satisfied just editing my stuff. So I said, guess we're going to have a Vsauce 3. And, and they've kind of evolved into what they are today. I cover the maths and science and philosophy of anything in the universe. If it's in the universe, I'll talk about it. Kevin talks about people and achievements in technology, celebrating uh, especially weirdos, people doing weird things that, well, actually is pretty amazing and we should all feel 
uh, comfortable being weird. And the third channel is all about the fictional worlds we create. If it's not truly in the universe, then Jake talks about it. And that would be stuff like, what is a coin in Mario really worth? Um, I mean, are they made out of gold? Because, okay, given the, the average height of an Italian male, we can calculate the volume of the coin. Oh, but wait, if you get 100 coins, that means that you get an extra life. Well, what's a life worth? Well, according to the UN, and we just go on and on and on, and kind of go crazy, accidentally teaching a whole bunch of stuff uh, by drawing people in with a funny question. Here's a, a really sexy shot of the three of us. I just wanted to make sure I got in. But we all uh, write and research and present the information and even to this day, uh, edit a lot of it all on our own. This is my setup. Someone drew a picture of it uh, after I described it, but then I took an actual photo. I've just got a camera on a tripod, uh, and the camera's always close enough that I can reach out and adjust the focus um, without having anyone there to help me. I'm also self-conscious delivering these, these like lectures, if you will, um, and if I mess things up or if I do the same take over and over again, I just would rather do it alone. Once, I was in a hotel room, and I actually taped a little camera, basically a phone camera, onto a waste bin and put it on top of a chair, and that was how I shot a video. And when I moved from, from New York to London, I don't even know what I was thinking, because I didn't even bring a camera. I had to buy that, little, that camera right there. I didn't have a soundproof room, so I used a music practice room. And I think that was actually sort of a good thing, because it forced me to just truly be myself. I had no help. I had to get back straight to just showing people, look, you're basically hanging out with me, and that's it. Um, <clears throat> but uh, given all of that, uh, we've come a long way since the early beginnings. I still shoot like this because I'm precious about my um, craft. <laughs> You'll laugh about that sentence when you see some of my uh, earlier videos. But um, we, we now work with a lot of authors and, and educators, and we've got people like Jared Diamond and Eric Schlosser, Jack Horner, the paleontologist who uh, uh, worked on all the Jurassic Park movies. He was just in my latest video, and he's brilliant. Uh, Bill Nye, of course. Uh, I don't know how familiar like, all international markets are of, of, of Bill Nye, but like, I subscribed to his fan club and everything back in the day. And then Kevin got to meet him, and I was like, that's ridiculous. Uh, Jennifer Jackett, of course, from, from NYU. We also have worked with a lot of uh, traditional media stars, which is very interesting because um, I can get 10 million views on a video and not hear a thing, but then, you know, I meet like uh, Chris Pratt and all of a sudden all my friends from high school are like, dude, you're awesome. And I'm like, guys, I spent 20 minutes with him and he doesn't even remember me. Uh, Jamie Oliver was nice enough to cook us up some Vsauce sauce. Um, it's very delicious, and there's a recipe over on his channel, FoodTube. And I'll shout out to Jamie, so he'll invite me back on his show. But um, it's, it's, it's been really fun, and it's cool now to see, especially, like, all these photos are from the last year or so. It's, it's cool to see the traditional world saying, hey, let's join in. Let's get the Muppets and Kevin to do something. Just, just today, Jake posted this picture with um, Paul Rudd they're doing a little Ant-Man thing. And I'm also jealous because Paul Rudd grew up near where I grew up, and I'm, I'm like, can I be invited to some stuff, guys? <laughs> anyway, here's, here's a, a screenshot of my channel and some of the videos that I've done, so you get a sense of what kind of, kinds of questions I'm asking. Um, would headlights work at light speed? If your car was moving at the speed of light and you turned on your headlights, 
would the light just pool up like a overflowing bowl or would they come on at all? Well, the answer is in that video. But not just the answer, because you couldn't Google that question, and there are answers all over the place. Um, and so instead, I tie all of this usually back to like super deep questions like, okay, so the speed of light is finite, but why? Like, who said it had to be that speed? Why couldn't it be twice as fast or half as fast? How do we even know the universe is real? And I get into it in that episode, <laughs> uh, you know, just like a little thing. Um, but but <laughs> the, the, the questions, I think, are, are both funny and super deep and super, like, reflective or something. And that, um, I, I think, is why a lot of people like them and why a lot of, like, younger people like them as well. I've got a hashtag on Twitter called School Sauce. Whenever one of my videos gets played in a classroom, someone will take a little sneak shot and tweet it out, and then I'll retweet it and... There's a bunch of these. It's a fun hashtag to check out. Uh, one parent even tweeted me, hashtag pre-pre-preschool sauce with this picture. And I don't know if the kid truly understood the difference I was trying to make between temperature and energy. But, you know, um, it's a good place to start. So anyway, I love these shots. Uh, and, and there's so many different topics are being covered here. This is about perspective illusions and uh, how come art was so bad back in the day. Like, why did it take humans so long to make art that didn't look crappy? Well, <laughs> there's a good answer for that, and the question itself is sort of uh, wrong, but uh, how much money is there on Earth? All that kind of stuff. What would human meat taste like if you could eat it? Well, you can, I mean, until someone stopped you, but I've, I've investigated that one as well, but I always try to send out as many hooks as possible. So it's not just, why is the sky blue? Well, because of Rayleigh scattering. Thanks for watching. It's, 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 why is the sky blue? Well, you know, what, what's light and, and is air actually blue? Oh, as it turns out, um, your eyeballs are blue, if you have blue eyes, for the same reason the sky is blue. Yeah, if you tore, if you tore someone's iris out of their eye and ground it up, it wouldn't be blue if they, if they were blue when they were in their head. Uh, because the iris and the air aren't actually blue, they just scatter light that way. Now, all of a sudden, maybe all the physics kids already thought the scattering was cool, but the people who care about eye color, and how come their friends' eyes look different than theirs care? So I'm always throwing out these weird, different hooks, trying to figure out every possible way to snare someone into being interested in the question. I guess we'll go back to the baby, and then we'll move on to uh, uh, where the questions come from. And this, get, this gets asked a lot, and they come from a lot of places. They don't always come from viewers, um, because I want to find one that no one's asked before. Because if someone's already asking it, then it's probably already been discussed or it's probably too Googleable. Right now I'm working on the Benarktarsky paradox, which I couldn't find anything about. Uh, so that meant it would probably be a good topic. But when, when people tweet questions at me, it's usually the youngest people who have the best questions. Uh, last summer I was on Jimmy Kimmel and <laughs> I was talking about a kid who asked me, um, Michael, what's the opposite of a duck? <laughs> and I was like, that's such an easy question to just ignore because this, that's, it's nonsense. But is it? Because, okay, well, the opposite of, of a duck could be a stand. If I'm not ducking, I'm standing. 
eh? Maybe that's a joke, but maybe it's also a way to get people interested in a lesson about homophones and about words. Or maybe if, if opposites attract and ducks are attracted to duck food, then duck food's the opposite of a duck, right? And, and all these language games sound like jokes, but in reality, they're a way to get people accidentally learning a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, all right, so my, my basic approach is to always look at the audience and overestimate their intelligence. <laughs> they're already super smart, and they're already primed to be very, very interested in even the most niche, asinine technical things. And it's easy to be afraid of those, but after doing hundreds of these videos, I found that people are passionate about it as long as you approach the topic as if you already expect them to be interested. Then they kind of want to belong because they feel like it's cool that like, you already are treating them with that respect. One of my favorite videos, educational videos on, on YouTube, is from a channel called um, 60 Symbols. And it's the physics of paint drying. <laughs> so yeah, so it's, they watch paint dry under a microscope. And it actually is very, very fascinating and very surprising because it doesn't dry the way you would expect. It kind of dries from like the middle out. And we don't even know exactly why still. OK? You could have easily dismissed paint drying as a bad and boring topic. But no, it's not. And there is an audience for it. <clears throat> now, I will, I will overestimate their intelligence, but, and this is very important, I will underestimate their vocabulary. Oftentimes people know a word and they think that just knowing that word and how to say it means knowing the answer. So like, how come I can stand here and I'm not moving anywhere else? Friction. Okay, but what is friction? And I keep asking those, but what is? questions all the time. And it's actually become a bit of a parody, like the Michael Stevens response to everything is, but what is a response? <laughs> but what is, is? How can a, re a response exist unless we know what to be means? You know, and that's, that's kind of weird and pro probably very annoying to some people. But I think that that really surprises people. And that's what makes Vsauce something that they, they uh, leave thinking about, and they can't get out of their heads, and they wake up in the morning going, wow, I'd never thought of that either. Um, uh, questions, yeah, OK. So for instance, <laughs> so, so the question mark. Do you know where the question mark comes from? Why does that shape mean question? Good, because no one knows. <laughs> we, we have no idea. But the leading theory. Well, at least it's kind of tied for being the leading theory, but I like it because it's quite elegant, is that it all comes from the Latin word questio, which looks like um, that. And it meant question, why, to ask. And uh, it started to be abbreviated like this with uh, just the Q and the O. And then people just started kind of squeezing them together, and then they kind of made this shape, uh, a QO combination, which then, if you kind of slant and have bad handwriting, could become a question mark? <laughs> I don't know. But that's pretty neat. So I just took a question, the very nature of a questioning in general and made you question it. You know, that's, that's what Vsauce is about. And I don't even have to get into really um, you know, complicated topics that you would need five years and a degree to understand. Because just getting down to the basics of, do photons really exist? How do we know? It's pretty fun.
and it's for the whole family. Uh, <laughs> now, this is, this is a, a, um, kind of a reiteration of something I already said because I was so excited, but anything can be interesting to anybody, anyone, because everything relates in some way to something they care about. Um, I do this all the time in episodes. I will say, you know what? I'm fascinated by um, how many people get away with murder in America every day. It's like a lot, actually. You know, fewer murders are solved today in America than are, were solved in the 1950s. That's true. And it's predominantly because of people not cooperating with the police and, and uh, gang-related killings where the person who commits the act doesn't even know the people involved. So there's just like, there aren't a lot of clues. That's like a super dark topic. But that can bring us into um, justice, why are speeding tickets the way they are? Why are speed limits the way they are? I can make any topic interesting to anybody if I try hard enough. And sometimes I'll fail, of course. I remember doing a video about what's the shortest poem possible. And there were a lot of, I guess, <clears throat> bullies who were like, boring, not poetry. And I was like, watch the video. It's cool. Um, Let's look at this guy. Because when you think about learning and when you think about knowledge and all of that kind of stuff, you usually think, ah, educational programming, that's great for nerds. It's great for people who don't have uh, um, friends. It's for people who love books. And actually, not, that's not even true at all. Because learning is how we express who we are. But we often think of learning as just this thing that happens in a school and involves numbers and getting a question right or wrong and doing your homework. But learning is just collecting information. And we collect information about everything that we love because then sharing that information with others, like teaching them, allows us to express who we are and why we matter and what we think is neat about ourselves. The music that you like, you listen to, you read about, you follow the celebrities that you like in movies and gossip magazines because you want to know them and know about them really well. Not, no one would call that like book learning, but that is a way that we express who we are. The clothing that we wear, the things we put on our walls, all of these things are, are things that we learn about and think about and read about in order to express back who we are. We're not doing it necessarily to help the people behind those products or ideas. We're doing it to help ourselves. Um, for instance, I was a huge fan of this guy when I was a kid. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Paul Zaloom, who played Beekman on a show called Beekman's World. So Beekman's World was like the show Bill Nye, the science guy but Beekman was insane. First of all, his lab coat is green. <laughs> and look at his hair. And that brain is way too big, okay? So he was nutty and he lived in a laboratory with an assistant and a guy who dressed in a rat costume named Lester. And he wasn't a rat. He was a guy in a rat costume, <laughs> right? And they had a big tumbler full of questions that would come in through the mail and they'd pull them out and they'd say, okay, Susie B. from Columbus, Ohio asks, how does a battery work? And then Beekman would go, well, Susie, a battery, and he'd be ridiculous. But I was a kid, I loved it, and so, naturally, I dressed up like him for Halloween. 
That's my sister is a genie. Now, obviously, I did not dress up like Beekman because I wanted to get him more viewers, because I wanted him to have another season of his show. I did it because I wanted to tell people that I'm like Beekman, yeah? I wanted to be Beekman. And look at that resemblance. I mean, that's, I should have put more pens in the pocket. But I remember my, my mother actually dyed that lab coat. Um, and then, it could have been so much better. Maybe this Halloween, I'll do it again. But the, the, the kind of takeaway that I want you to have here is that, especially on social media, where we use this word all the time, people like things because they want others to think they are like that thing. When I share a funny link on Facebook, I'm not doing it to help out that website or that writer. Maybe, maybe I am, but in, in more ways, I'm doing it to let everyone know that I have really good taste in comedy. And uh, that's how I think um, everything works, and, and Vsauce especially, because I see sort of three ways that people share content. Identity, emotional gift, and information. I fall into that sort of information category, but often an emotional gift because I envision my audience being myself when I was a teenager. If I didn't know something when I was a teenager, I'll talk about it. If I was scared of something when I was a teenager, I'll talk about it. I did a video about the friend zone recently, and that was really popular, I'm sure, especially with people who feel like they've been friend zoned. And I basically said, you know, all kinds of stuff. I go all over the place in the videos, but I'm like, guys, uh, what's really wrong in the world today is that there aren't enough friends. And I talk about how the internet's changed social dynamics, how people aren't just kind of like hanging out in bowling clubs. That was more of a sociology type video. But um, people share that video because they were talking about that with a friend or a friend's having that issue in their life and they share it because of the emotional gift. Hey, I know that you're feeling this way. Well, I'd rather you feel this way, watch this. Or, hey, I know that you were curious about what would happen if everyone on Earth jumped at the same time. Could we you know, destroy the Earth's orbit? Well, I've done a video on that. So then they share it, because they're like, dude, here's the answer. Or they've already seen the video, and they're trying to explain to everybody the, what would really happen, and no one believes them. So then later on, they share the video to say, see, this is what I was telling you. And identity is just what I was talking about before. It's about, hey, remember that band that I found that you didn't know about? Here's their music video. Aren't I cool for like knowing about them and sharing that with you? Um, take a look at these boys who a couple of years ago dressed up like, well, <laughs> Kevin, Jake, and I. And <laughs> apparently this guy even cut his hair to, to be more bald like me, which I really appreciate. Uh, I think they did a pretty good job. Take a look at that comparison. Like, they got the key features down. Kevin's wearing the, like, flannel shirt. Jake's always got this hoodie that's not put together. I think this kid is even wearing earrings because Jake's got one or two. Uh, but again, they didn't dress up like us because they wanted to get me to 9 million subscribers faster. They dressed up like us because they wanted to have some of what we were rub off onto who they were. So when I make content, I, I don't think about what like a focus group is saying people want to watch or what um, I think that they would, would like to watch. I make it so that they can be who they want to be and share it and express who they are and use it to do that.
Here's a good example of how this all kind of works out in the real world. I saw this tweet a while back from that clever boy, so already you know this is going to be good. He says, so at TweetSauce, which is my Twitter handle, you can all follow me if you want. Uh, he, so at TweetSauce showed me binary counting, a video by, by heart, by heart, and I showed it to all my friends who now gaze at me with awe and respect. <laughs> this, this guy never made a video. All he did was share it. But yet his friends look up to him for being the source of such cool stuff. And he's not just the source, but he's also wearing my team colors. He's shouting out that I'm the one that showed it to him. I probably liked it on, on uh, YouTube, and he saw that in his feed, or I may have put it in a playlist. Anyway, he's, he's getting what's cool about Vihart to reflect back on him, and then I'm getting credit for being that source. That, I mean, without me needing to even make that episode, by just sharing myself, I get involved in the, in the credit for it. So <clears throat> I, uh, I realize that I do this too, and sometimes I think we all do it um, like this. I tweeted out this, um, when was it? Oh, there's no date. But anyway, this is a great video from a channel called Engineer Guy. And um, his stuff is always good. He put out a new video about how a CCD works in a camera. And I immediately tweeted, excellent video on how digital cameras see with a charge coupled device, okay? <laughs> and I didn't, hadn't even watched the video. Like That's kind of embarrassing, but I was in such a rush to have his coolness reflected onto me, I tweeted it out. I trusted that it wasn't gonna like become porn halfway through. Um, and I actually still haven't watched it, so I should check on that. But I just immediately wanted to be a part of the team that was associated with his new video. And that's what viewers can be if you make content that they will want to put on their feeds for their own sake. All right, so. Uh, this is the ultimate example, in my opinion, of all of this, and it's a little creepy. So like, well, it's not creepy, but it kind of is. Basically, I was on OkCupid, okay, and I, I now have a girlfriend who I found through the site, but like a couple of years ago, I was trying to find some people to date, and it turns out you can search by keyword. So you could search lasagna and find girls who like lasagna, and then um, it's actually really neat. You can search like TV shows that you think you're the only one who likes and you can find other people like that. Well, naturally, I carefully searched Vsauce <laughs> and did not dare to click on a profile because they can see who looks at their profiles. And how weird would that be? Because they're not even, none of them are in London. There's Wisconsin, Canada, New York, and Canada. So it would have been so embarrassing. But I took a screenshot because these these people are not putting Vsauce on their profiles because they want to help me grow an audience. They're doing it to tell something about themselves, to show who they are. All right, so I want to talk about authenticity because this comes up all the time in discussions of digital content and what works and you know what kind of the magic sauce is behind a lot of... Um, uh, the digital stars that are coming out of YouTube and social media. Um, <clears throat> and I don't think that these people are necessarily 
planning out their moves. They're just intuitively being themselves. And, and uh, a guy who, who helps me with editing, who's literally named Guy also, by the way, he said to me just yesterday, as I was kind of going through this with him, he said, hey, do you think that it's an advantage on YouTube to be not good at filmmaking? Like, you don't come in with all the assumptions you normally would, and you just kind of make things in this very casual, friendly way. And I thought that was a really interesting question. I don't think that it's true, but I think that there are some, some things you can observe about what's working on YouTube that fall into the, the, a line that it's hard to get into if you've been in a traditional groove. For instance, teaching maths. Uh, generally, uh, maths is sort of taught like on a whiteboard or a chalkboard and you know, if I was teaching you guys something, I'd probably be doing like this and I'd show it or I'd have some sort of big screen up here and I'd be doing the work here. Um, and that just kind of makes sense. But check out what Numberphile does, which is a purely, a purely maths-based channel that literally gets uh, millions and millions of views every week. What Numberphile does is this. The cameraman, Brady Heron, who's also the producer, uh, he has a camera and he basically turns the audience into just him. You see his point of view. And when someone explains something to him, he uh, just looks over their shoulder. And it's a very intimate, two-person sort of moment. It's not the person going, okay, so, well, like, if this is the triangle and, and, and showing it like there's an audience, it's the person going, uh, hey, yeah, so, like, look. Like, and that, that intimacy becomes something that you share when you watch the video. And I think that's why one of the, one of the big reasons why Numberphile's been able to do the numbers they have by just doing math stuff. It helps that they're picking some pretty mind-blowing topics, like one plus two plus three plus four, like every number, every integer added up equals negative one-twelfth. It, 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 it in some ways does, yes, and string theorists have to assume that, and you can go watch that video to see why. It's pretty mind-blowing. This guy like just quickly shows you, well, if this is true and this is true, well, then every uh, whole number added to itself uh, is negative 1 over 12. And you're like, he's right. <laughs> another, another thing that I really like is um, what Hannah Hart does. Uh, Hannah Hart has a cooking show where she like drinks while she cooks and it doesn't always end up well. <laughs> and she does, she does a lot more than that now, but um, in her show, My Drunk Kitchen, she puts a camera on a tripod, and this, this is her with um, a guest, uh, and I'm totally, um, Miranda Sings, right. And what I am constantly uh, impressed by, and what I, I don't even know if Hannah knows she's doing this, but she puts the camera on a tripod, and then the camera is you, the person watching at home. If she needs to get a close-up of something, like of a, uh, her, what she cooked, or a casserole. Yeah, I've got a casserole picture here. She doesn't do a close-up. She's not like, okay, crew, could we now move and uh, relight for close-up on casserole? She's just like, guys, look at that. Like, look what I made. And she spills stuff, and she she treats the camera like it's you, except you you can't move. You're like tied down to a chair or something. And that that's a weird way to put it, but it makes it feel like you are there. She is performing all of this just for you. I think it's about friendship in a lot of ways. I want to feel like 
I'm hanging out with these people. And it doesn't have to be personality-led. It can be um, just hanging out with a different person every week, but in this way. It basically makes me feel like there's no barrier between me and the people on the camera. They're very aware that I'm there, and they care that I'm there. And they have a certain authenticity, such that if I were to run into them on the street, they could, um, you know, I could ask them anything about what they were doing, and they wouldn't say, oh, I don't know. Like, that's just what the, they told me to do. They would actually say, ah, well, here's why I did that. That's just something that I think you can, you notice as a, um, a feature of a lot of these successful channels. Roman Atwood recently did, uh, well, not recently, like in January, did a really cool uh, prank video on his wife where while she was gone, he filled up his house with ball pit balls. And his kids loved it. But you can see that he had a whole crew of people come in and help. But the way the video is framed isn't like, today we're going to prank him on. What will she think? It was more like he sits there with his kid and he calls her and he's like, hey, when are you coming home? She's like, oh, it won't be for like three more hours. And he's like, okay, cool. And then he turns off the camera and turns it on somewhere else. Like, this is him. And I'm sure he has a lot of help, but the whole thing comes across like it's just a thing that some dude made who never even thought that it was going to become a format. Uh, and of course, it's all about her reaction. She's like, she maybe knew, though, like, who, I don't know how real all this stuff is, but it doesn't matter. Like, the, the sense and the attitude that you get from it is one of, I want to be that guy's friend. Because you imagine that he's just there and he just lives in a house and does this in his free time. You don't, and maybe that's true, but that's how it feels. Um, it doesn't always have to look like um, low budget at all. Uh, it's easy to sometimes take that message away and think, oh, well, I guess every video needs to be one camera spilling food on the floor or something. No, it can, it can look amazing. So take a look at uh, this video. Let's see if I can make this work. So the guy who made this is named Devin Supertramp, and you might be familiar with him, but his stuff is so professionally made. The editing, the camera work, the equipment that he uses is fantastic. But there's still a sense you get from it that this is just a group of like five friends who did a thing. And they happen to also be really good at production, but I feel like I'm watching everybody involved in the production when I watch. There isn't some mysterious presence behind the screen. Any one of those people, if I ran into them on the street, could tell me everything about what they did that day. All right, so they're holding selfie sticks and they're hanging out and laughing and you cut, you know, I don't know how this was actually produced. It doesn't matter though. All I know is that when I watch it, I go, I want to meet Devin. I don't say, I want to meet Rock Swing Productions. And wow, what, how great was that for Devin's career that he got involved in that? 
Anyway, Roman Atwood, fantastic. Devin, fantastic. Even Echo Smith on the music side is getting into this. Echo Smith is huge. Uh, cool Kids is huge. I just saw uh, Sydney, the lead singer, like hanging out with Taylor Swift to and around this country. But their channel is so different from almost every other major label channel. Uh, the, the singer, Sydney, will do things like this. She'll just upload like a, a video from her iPhone where she's singing the hook to one of their songs. <laughs> it's like, bright hook by me, Sydney. And, and you're like, what the heck? This is so, like, from a friend. Thanks, Sydney. And she's there talking. Here's a video where she's showing, she got to meet uh, Jimmy Fallon, which like, no, like you're, most of us don't have friends who do that, but she's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this happened, and she's leaving comments on the video about her day. So she doesn't need to talk to everybody. It's obviously impossible for her to talk to all 44 million people that are watching this video. But if she talks to four, well, those millions that watch it see that she's talking to people and they all realize she is like friendable. I call it infriendity. <laughs> I don't know. This is why I use that word though, because, and I, I, I still am not great at articulating this, but it's not just about friendship and the intimacy of being there with the, the performers or the crew or the people, but it's, it's about the fact that you're seeing their real, I don't want to say real life, because this isn't reality television. It's like when you see a movie and you like the actor, and then you go and you read the Wikipedia page about their personal life, that's the stuff that can keep going. I can keep following Randy Quaid through the rest of his like, life as he hides in Canada and believes he's being, do you know this about Randy Quaid, by the way? <laughs> the guy from Jurassic Park and... Um, uh, the family vacation movies with Chevy Chase. Anyway, point is, I can follow his career and it doesn't just get stuck and end with one character or one performance or one video. That's the infinity aspect of this word. When I see Devin with his friends doing the rock swinging thing, I go, I love you, Devin. Can I be your friend? Do more. I want to see what you do next. I want to recommend where you go next and what cool, scary, but beautifully shot thing you do next. That's the friend part, and it's the infinity part that, like, this is going to go on forever. When does Vsauce end? <laughs> I don't know how it does. There's no season. There's no, it's just, it's just whatever I was obsessed with for the last couple of weeks. And I'm always going to be obsessed with something, so how can Vsauce ever end? It's infinity. But you're also there. I'm talking directly to you. The camera is literally as close as it is when I talk to someone. It's infrendity. Probably won't catch on, but... Um, kind of the final thing I want to do, because we are kind of low on time, but I wanted to make a couple of observations about education videos in general, but also just a lot of videos, not just the informational kind. I once saw a video, and I won't say from who, but it was titled, How to Cure a Hangover, and I was like, uh-oh, this could be interesting. So I click it, and it started like this. Someone walks out, you know, like a, like a doctor walks out and goes, We've all been there. You had a few too many drinks the night before, and you feel drowsy, irritable. And I'm like, stop it. I know what a hangover is. Like, why else would I have clicked on it? They were being the opposite of what a friend is. When you meet your friend for drinks, you don't go, hey, Tina. Okay, we've all been there before, right? You turn on your television, and you can't find anything. 
Tina would not be your friend anymore. <laughs> you just jump into it because you know each other. And in a digital video on demand kind of setup, people already have the title. They already have the picture that's the thumbnail for the video. They already are with you. Let's just jump in and start talking. Let's just share things that we're passionate about. There's also an interactivity element, which I think is a little bit like you all get it. It's kind of obvious. The Vsauce guys and I do a lot of fan meetups. Um, we do a lot of selfies with fans because if it didn't happen, well, you know, if there's no picture, how do we uh, love it forever and how do people freak out that they're in one? I actually, uh, <clears throat> well, first last year when, when the Vsauce network hit a billion views, um, we had a big party for all the fans that were in Los Angeles, and we invited some lookalikes of Ben Franklin and Albert Einstein, and everyone got to like take pictures with the guys. It was so weird, but what a like fun idea, and it creates all these cool memories and photos of the event. Uh, I was just in Romania in April, and uh, we were doing a Q&A, and this guy says, hey, can I get a selfie with you? And I couldn't leave the stage, so I just had them put a spotlight on him, and I took a picture. And he was pretty happy. <laughs> but again, I don't have to take a selfie with everyone in that audience. Like everyone who was there and now all of you saw that interactive element happen. Um, in some kind of more experimental ways, Vsauce is interacting with our fans by promoting the work that they do. Uh, a lot of my success came from early videos I made being supported by College Humor, by Funny or Die, websites that just put them on the front page because they liked what I'd made. So we want to do that too and we've made Vsauce where people can email us videos they've made and then we create cool playlists and little um, you know, hosted playlists of people's stuff uh, where we actually send viewers to their video and then after that video they're sent right back to us saying what the next clip is. It's like we're VJs for the digital world. And that's, that's cool because people freak out when you send them a few hundred thousand viewers onto their thing. Um, <clears throat> oh yeah, I wanted to put a slide here but I didn't have time because I couldn't get the Wi-Fi password. Um, <laughs> I finished this weeks ago, Don't, that was a joke. Um, but <clears throat> Reddit, I think it's reddit.tv. If you know the, the aggregator reddit.com, they, they have a, a section of the website now that's like Reddit TV. And what it does is it just takes all the videos that are submitted to various subreddits, which are different themes of discussion, and it just puts them into a non-video on demand, like linear style feed. So I could click on cute cats. And just every video people have submitted into the cute cats category just starts playing. I could go to the technology category and just every technology video just starts playing. Like one after the other based on when they're coming in. And I think that's really innovative and it's amazing because now the VJs are just the people. They're the curators. Have any of you seen this? Well, you're about to. <laughs> When I first started seeing the power of the audiences you could reach online, I didn't even own a camera, so I started doing um, edits of found footage. And to teach myself how to edit, I did uh, stuff like this. Now, back in 2007, the, the US election that Barack Obama won in 2008 was a big deal. And Hillary was running against him, so <clears throat> I took the you know, intellectual powers that I had and I created this piece of uh, masterpiece. Your opponents are saying that that's really part of a larger pattern with you, that you often avoid taking firm positions on controversial issues. Um, 
Okay, so, so that has seven million views. Uh, yeah, and then someone else ripped it, <clears throat> and that has nine million views. So uh, you might ask, well, are you like happy that now you're doing something with more substance or that's educational or that teaches? My mother is. Like, she can post what I make on her Facebook feed, but she would never post that kind of stuff. But I disagree. I don't think this is any better than what I do today. And I think that because of the joy this has brought people, I think it's easy to get, yeah, kind of like obsessed with, but what's the, like, what's the deepest thing? But I, I used to make videos like this exclusively. Go back to the early days of Vsauce and you'll find, uh, you know, uh, oh, here, top five gratuitous boobs in gaming. Like, that's ridiculous. And in, in a certain way, I, I am ashamed of it. But in another way, I, I think that, um, you know, we, <laughs> I got a letter from a guy um, back when that's basically all I made. And he said, hey, I'm this guy, like, uh, fighting in Iraq or whatever it was. And he wasn't the kind of guy who was like, uh, I won a war. He was like, I'm young and I'm here all of a sudden. And he said, you know, your poop joke videos, your video like Mario farts, that makes my day. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? That's really important to remember that um, we can bring joy to people in a lot of different ways, not just in uh, you know, ways that might get played in schools and given the hashtag school sauce, but in all kinds of ways. So that's why I'm so excited to be here because everyone's working on such different things that people absolutely love. Um, so with that, I want to open up for whatever time we have to do some Q&A to kind of hear from you guys. Thank you very much indeed. There must be lots of questions out there for Michael. Here's your chance. Who would like to kick off? Yes, over there. Thank you. I really like your, your videos because, um, as you explained, it's kind of all about personality. It's all about being sort of spontaneous and saying what really interests you. But I'd like to know, do you have any channels which are animation-based, where obviously it's a bit harder to kind of be spontaneous and react to your audience in quite the same way. Um, so yeah, does animation work on YouTube? <clears throat> oh, it totally does, yeah. I would, I would refer you to like Minute Physics or Minute Earth, which are just completely drawn channels. Same with ASAP Science and RSA Animates. I mean, it's, there's, there are a lot of those. Now they still have a personality. You know, they still have like a, an aesthetic that really feels like their brand. But you, it may, in some cases, it's a different narrator every time. Um, I cannot draw, so I just sit in front of the camera and talk. It'd be easier to not have to do that and to be able to just read off of the script. But yeah, I don't want anyone to have the impression that like <clears throat> the only thing that works on YouTube is wacky, zany person vlogging. <clears throat> because that's not true at all. Look at what Vice is doing. They have a super clear aesthetic and brand even if the hosts are different every time or the topic is in a whole different location. I happen to just be working kind of by myself and I do what I can. But if you want to throw in animation, also look at, look at Thought Glass, the show on Vsauce 2, which is now almost entirely animated. And that helps him with production because he doesn't have to spend as much time 
like reading off of an auto cue or like memorizing. He could just do the voiceover and then send it on. But uh, no, no, I, 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 that's a super good question because you can definitely bring people into your world in a lot of different ways. Cool, thank you. Any more questions? Okay, with a slide, yes, gentleman here. Hi, Michael. Um, thanks for the talk. I've been a v Vsauce fan, Vsauce 1 fan for a, quite a long time. Um, not one of those uh, women on your list, so I haven't been stalking. Good, um, good. Um, I think what you talked very passionately about was about the teen audience, and a lot of the things you talked about, identity and shareability, is a lot of things that teens, you know, they, they come into their own and, and young yeah. tweens. Um, what you haven't talked about is around the younger audience, and this being a children's conference, there's a lot of um, concern, especially coming over from across the pond, about what YouTube is doing with, for younger kids. Is it doing enough? Um, if I posted a question on Vsauce asking, what's the right age for children to start using YouTube, right. how would you reply? Well, I would say whatever the terms of service say, which is like 13 or something. I mean, is anyone from YouTube here that could clarify? But yeah, I think otherwise, <laughs> I don't have kids or anything, so I don't really know what I would do. But I would say that I would like only watch things that I'd seen before with them. <clears throat> Leaving them alone with this huge archive of human experience would be totally scary. I get terrified when I'm alone on the internet most of the time, <laughs> let alone a child. And, and yeah, I mean, you bring up a good point because I'm thinking of like maybe 10 to 80 as my age group. But even people who are young or even people who aren't young can still find a lot of things scary. I got an email from a dad that said that my video about why we don't taxidermy people <clears throat> was frightening and he was really upset because like the last two had been about physics and he was like, oh sure, yeah, go ahead. And he comes back and his, his son is like, my, my body is not gonna, you know, and I was like, oh, <laughs> sorry man. I, I, don't, I don't know what to say about that because again, I'm, I'm, I'm just making observations as I work along, but that's a super important concern. And I think that, yeah, as Vsauce grows, one of our goals is to better bucket what we make and make it more obvious who it's targeted to. Uh, studios are all mostly YouTube studios are based in LA. Why did you come to London? Because most of the popular YouTubers with your base all moved to LA. What was it about London <clears throat> that attracted you to the UK? Well, it was a number of things. It was like, I liked the people who were out here and I think I still, well, don't tell everyone, but I think the educational channels here are some of the best. I think what the Royal Society is doing with Brady Heron, I think CGP Grey, who I pretty much stole that uh, quote about overestimate their intelligence from. I totally forgot to credit him for. Anyway, um, they're all out here. Tom Scott, who's at the conference, is here as well, and he's brilliant, and he's like really blowing up right now. Um, and not only did I like all of those things, but there was a girl I had a crush on who lived out here. <laughs> and it was so dumb because she had a boyfriend and still has the same boyfriend. It was like, I don't know what I was thinking, but I wanted, I wanted to be a little fish in a big pond and be overwhelmed. And um, that, that helped, helped me also get a better understanding of how global the audiences are. I didn't really talk much about that, but there are nine million people watching because I can get people from anywhere there's internet. So, you know, watch my early videos. I'm talking about like feet and inches and miles and pounds of weight, you know? And now I realize, wow, there's a lot more than just America. So it was, it was all part of that. And I, I like being out here because as it is now, in, I think right now the sun will not be setting on Vsauce because I'm here. We've got Jake in LA and Kevin in New York. So 
Yeah. That's brilliant. <laughs> That's a great thought. Actually, I think my watch is fast. I think we've got time for one more question. Hello. Hello. Um, first of all, I want to thank you for abbreviating mathematics in the plural. Thank you. Um, yeah, it's, I've caught on to it. Thank you. I still uh, don't really get it. But. I, I wanted to uh, just ask you a question about the relationship between frequency of upload yeah. and the success that you've had in your channel. Just wondering how that's changed um, over the course of your career and what conclusions you might have come to about that. Thank you. The conclusion I've come to, thank you, is uh, that I'm just going to put out videos when they're ready. I, there's a lot of pressure you can feel about, well, should I be posting every week? Like, if I take a break, do I get forgotten? And <clears throat> those are, 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 are real concerns. I just kind of eventually had to give up and say I'd rather spend a month on this one video than shovel out stuff that would just be more of the same. Um, I've probably been posting less frequently than I used to because the videos get longer and longer. They're all over 10 minutes long now. <laughs> And uh, I always overwrite them. So I, I, I mean, I, I usually write about 15 minutes and I cut four. So one of these days I'll put together a whole uh, extra deleted scenes video or something. But <laughs> yeah, no, I think we're all still trying to figure that out. And I'd like to find a model that's more season based so I can take a break in between. As it is now, I put a video out and I'm like, oh, what's next? Got to start working on the next one. <laughs> and I've got like, you know, ideas and ugh. But it's fine. It's different every week. Um, at, at the risk of being a literal old fart, um, the title of the talk is All Change. Yeah. Um, what's the all and where's the change? Yeah, well, that's a good question. Because <laughs> I, <clears throat> I was just saying backstage that I'm like this digital native. And so nothing's changed for me. Like, I just was in college studying psychology. And then I... Um, the internet was, was happening and videos were already there and I just went into it. And, and then slowly I learned that there was a different process and that what I was doing was considered a change from a lot of what you had to normally do to reach a million or, or so people. And so uh, my reaction to the title is that I don't think it's all changing. I think, I mean, everything's always changing, but we're all we're getting together really well. Um, I, I know a lot of people call it what's happening with digital disruptive, but in reality, I think it's just kind of, we're finding better ways to be friends with each other, and all forms of media are following that. Thank you. Thank you very much, Michael. Thank you for a really, really thought-provoking session. Thanks.